Hello everyone and welcome to the 85th episode of Career Podcast. Today I'm joined with Miss Elodie Mandaloni. She's a freelance concert artist and art director from Cambridge, United Kingdom. And well, with that quick introduction out of the way, could you please let's jump into the next question? First question, I mean. Give us a little introduction on how you got into visual arts and design. Um, hi. Hey, hi, everyone. Uh, so basically, I started um, my career by being in, um, in a video game school to learn 3D in the first place. So I've done basically a bachelor degree of um, game arts uh, to learn 3D, but also animation and everything that is art related in um, in the video games. Um, and um, and then after that, I basically realized that it's not exactly what I wanted to do. I wasn't that interested in the technical aspect of uh, video games. So I basically um, taught myself a little bit more in concept art and illustration. And I decided to go from there. Um, I've done a lot of personal work to have my portfolio ready. And, uh, and uh, yeah, then I started looking for concept art jobs. And uh, I found my first job at... Um, at an indie studio uh, in Paris called Parallel Studio. I spent uh, about six months over there and then I switched to freelance uh, for a little while. And um, after that, I, I got my, my first in-house proper studio job, which was at um, Frontier Development. I worked on Planet Zoo. I worked on Elite Dangerous. Um, and, uh, and now I'm back in being freelance. Um, and I'm currently working on the art direction of a game called Party Animals. All right, sounds awesome. And um, there's there, a question just popped in my mind that I want to ask, you know, based on the answer you just gave. Were you originally studying art and design, like at first, like when you were a teenager, or you were pursuing another career path, maybe, you know? <laughs> Completely you, different, actually, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, um, so basically, I uh, after high school, so in France, we basically do a pretty generic high school and um, we then specialize a little bit. And my uh, specialization um, for my diploma was uh, scientific. So in the first place, I wanted to be an engineer. Um, and uh, I've been to a job fair and in a corner of the room, there was basically that um, video game school that was um, showing some cool people like modeling on Cintiqs and modeling characters for the video games. And I completely got hooked. Um, I just took a leaflet um, just to be curious. I didn't really, didn't really think much of it at the time. And um and then there was the the, the, um, the school was basically doing open doors where you can visit the school and talk to the students and all that. I visited and I just fell in love with video games and draw because I wasn't playing that many video games before that school. Um, like every kid, I used I played a little bit, but I wasn't a huge uh, video game video game nerd in the first place. And I just completely fell in love with the whole video game world. And um, after my diploma, I completely gave up everything that was was engineer related and i yeah i jumped into the video game career awesome and well speaking of the fact that you just jumped into the whole video game industry and all of that um the next question is what is your main branch of design that you're focusing on right now and tell us about your experience from the start of it until now i mean of course in the introduction i I mean, I already mentioned that you're a concert artist and art director, but I want you to, if it's possible, to go a little bit in depth 
of your whole experience in it. Okay. Um, well, basically, the day-to-day job is designing. I'm, I'm specialized in environments. I don't do that many characters. I used to do a little bit more when I was um, when I was um, a student and uh, freelance in the first place. But I really, I really have. A strong passion for architecture and the and uh, environments in general, so I started to pursue that. Um, I also do more stylized work. I don't do that many realistic environments or very very sci-fi because I've done a lot while while I was working on Elite Dangerous, and I'm a I'm a bit tired of it. So now I'm basically focused on stylized work. So on a day to day day to day. Basically, how does the how does the job looks like? It's basically um, I've got a brief or a short introduction of what I'm supposed to be designing, um, and I basically I'm gonna start sketching different um, different variants of it, different designs uh, about like um, I don't know maybe ten ish something like that. Depends if it's a smaller asset, maybe not as much, but. Um, yeah, I do that. It's it's the same process for environments or props. I have a short introduction. I sketch some ideas, then I refine them. And once um, I've got a design I'm happy with, I'm going to render it a little bit more, add some lighting, add some life to it, um, really render it properly. And um, yeah, draw tons of little texture details and things like that. And once that done, that's done, um, it's, it's been taken to a 3D artist. And then that's when the art director job kicks in. Is, um, after the 3D modeling has been done, I'm basically here to see if it's conform to the concept I've done, um, if we can um, adapt it, because when you're doing something in 3D for video games, you can always tweak some stuff here and there for it to work a little bit better in 3D. Um, so yeah, basically I design environments and I make sure that they look as good as possible in the game afterwards. All right. And um, speaking of your work and the stuff you design and sketch, and there's another question. Um, how does your design process usually go, usually, anytime you want to start working on a project? Like, what I mean by that, for example, imagine you have a prompt or idea of, like, a, maybe an environment or maybe a prop for a set, you know, something like that in your mind, and you want to basically draw it and, you know, so it will be available for to be sent to, for example, I don't know, 3D modeling teams in the stuff like that. Basically, industry, really. I don't know how to explain it, sorry. Um from zero to finished, how does your pipeline and process usually goes whenever you want to start working on a project? Um, so the first thing that I have to do is search for reference. Um, it's basically the only way you can get a um, prop that is rich in detail, interesting, and also consistent with what you're meant to design. So first thing is search for references. So I'm going to go online and... Um, Let's say I have to design um, an environment for a sub-Saharan um, building, let's say. So I'm going to look at tons of references of cities in Ethiopia, cities everywhere in Africa, basically, so I can get a hold of what material they use, what shape they use. Um, I'm going to basically have a mood board of images uh, that represents uh, all of this, Um 
I, I say Ethiopia because I'm really inspired by the architecture over there and especially by um, um, a city that is called Lalibela. And it's like an amazing um, buried city that's very square and very, very, very cool designs in there. So I, I basically... I searched tons of references of images. I'm also very inspired by um, pottery, like ancient potteries. Um, any kind, it doesn't even need to be um, a, a building. I can even just uh, look at some weapons they used to use or um, some other props, maybe some uh, transportation modes and all that kind of, that, all that, that kind of stuff is going to give me an idea of um what's the visual that I'm going to go for. So once I've got that mood board all set up, I'm going to try and decide what feature I want to put in uh, in my design, like what are the main features of the design. So do I want square shapes? Do I want rounded shapes? Uh, what kind of materials do I want? Is that more wood? Is that more metal? Is that more like um, dirt? All that kind of stuff. So once I've got that good base, I can start, my sketches. Um, I'm going to try different shapes. I'm going to try to have a defined silhouette too. If it's like a main building, I don't want it to look like any other building. It needs to be a bit spe- more special. So let's say I've got a design, I don't know, a market barrow, but the, the, the merchant is selling pickles. I don't know. I'm going to try and add tons of little details that are making that little cart very specific to that character. So let's say saying Pico is selling pickles. So I'm going to, like the the little lights, little lanterns are going to be mason jars. Uh, I'm going to add tons of little... um, Little pickles hanging off the, hanging off the the roof of the the market barrow. Basically, try and find tons of little ideas that will make the design a bit fun and add a bit of storytelling. Like storytelling is very very important for me when um, when designing an environment. I want the environment to look like it's been lived in and um, like we could almost picture the character that is using the prop or living in that environment without even seeing him. Um, I want, I want the environment to have like personality basically. So once I've got my sketch, uh, several ideas, several sketches, I'm going to refine one that I like the most. Um, and then I've got a specific process because I like to use 3d. I'm coming from a 3d school, so I I still use 3d. Uh, So I'm going to do a quick block out of, um, of my sketch and I'm going to light it. I'm going to add some materials if I need to, and then I'm going to paint over it. And the reason why I use a little bit of 3d is so basically I can turn around the object, see if it works in 3d, choose different angles. It's also helps with perspective. It can help with how the lights reacts to different shapes, different materials. So that's why I use 3d. And, um, yeah, once it's done, I'm adding details. I'm adding the colors. If, I need to add colors. I'm, I'm adding like all the the nice textures, like the wood cracks, all that kind of stuff. And uh, that's it. I've got my props. All right. And well, I mean, we talked about a lot about, you know, designing stuff for games and game industry and all of that stuff. And well, I mean, I, in this section of the podcast, I want to ask you about some of your works and also talk about some games, you know, talk mm-hmm. about some video games. All right. So. The first thing I want to ask you is that, I mean, I 
took a look at your art station stuff and um, and also your your works on Instagram, they all look, especially the lighting and coloring, it looks so fresh and live. Right? They all look so beautiful. Thank you and very much. One of them that I want to, that I actually found, that concept I found really cool is the a weapon design you did for for workshop and the name of it is called Yukai Catcher, which is really cool because in the middle of it, it's like a bell that attracts them. And I really find that concept really smart and clever twist to a weapon, you know, in fantasy settings. And well, explain that to us, how the idea came by, the whole concept and just anything about detail you could share with us. Um, so basically, I applied the same process I talked about earlier. Um, on this one specifically, I wanted, I really like big, chunky swords, like great swords. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with um, the game uh, Monster Hunter World. No, I have never played um, it. It's basically a game where you you kill huge monsters, and once you kill them, you basically craft weapons with with their um, with their skills, where with the materials they give you, and it's always very very big weapons that they, they are as tall as your character, and it, they always look so heavy, so chunky, and I absolutely love that, and I also love the idea that the weapon you use to kill your enemy is. Um, partially crafted or at least related in terms of design to that enemy. So in that case, I had in mind a yokai. So a yokai is basically a, a Japanese spirit. Um, you've got plenty, plenty of them. They're all different. But I, I didn't really push any specific yokai on this design, just general idea of a spirit. And um, so... With that in mind, I knew that I wanted a chunky sword and I wanted it to kill yokais. So I started looking up um, tons of references about feudal Japan, uh, different practices, different materials they use. I've um, in, a, in a previous design I've done, I've, um, I've noticed something called kintsukuroi, and it's basically a way of repairing uh, broken potteries in, um, in uh, feudal Japan, where you basically um, take all the broken pieces and reassemble them together with gold. So that's what you can see in the, um, in the blade. You've got some gold uh, gold rims basically and it's like the, the, the soul has been broken and it's been repaired with gold um, there's also jade the green material is made of jade because um, you can see that material a lot in um, in uh, like Japanese potteries and stuff like that um, so for the shape um, I didn't really um, pick a specific shape. I just started doodling and draw some different ideas, and that's the shape I like the most. But the, I really, really wanted the sword to have um, to have a bell that attracts the spirit, so then you can kill him. So that's why you've got the bell, and the reason why it's in the middle is because I've seen in some temple in Japan, you basically have a very a big. A round shape, a, a circle as, a, as some sort of gate, and you have to go into it. And basically, that's what that that reminded me a little bit of this. And I was like, okay, so I'm just gonna put my bell in the middle. It's gonna create an interesting shape too to have this rounded cutout in the middle. And then, as soon as the the yokai um, 
goes in the middle and basically touches the bell, that's where you can actually kill him. So it's it's all very, you know, it's not very precise or very, uh, it's just ideas, basically, um, and storytelling in general. Um, that's why you've got the little bell and these different elements that go together. There's also the handle of the... Um, the handle of the soul that is a little bit like, um, you know, the handle of katanas. You've got um, you've got uh, some sort of piece of fabric that is wrapped around it, and I wanted to replicate that too. So yeah, that's basically I tried to take tons of different elements from Japanese culture and put it in a sword. That is actually so cool. Now that you went like while you were like explaining the details, I was also looking at it. And I was like, "Huh, I didn't notice that." But when then when you like explained, it, I was like, "Oh, that's the golden scenes. That's the golden stuff in the cracks of it." Yeah. Well, that's that's why I I like having some little storytelling details that are not necessarily super on the nose or very, very obvious, but it's only when you actually give it a second look that you're like, oh, yeah, actually, I, I recognize that. And oh, okay, it's, I don't want it to be too much in the nose. Like, um, I don't know if I do like um, a food truck, I don't want it to be shaped like a sausage, basically. Um, I, I'm only gonna use some elements and and things like that in a, in a subtle subtle way, I hope. Um, but yeah, that's uh, I like this little little it's almost like Easter eggs, basically. Oh my god, ex- like in some senses, like we have the same type of thinking when it comes to designing stuff. Like, I like I personally love little. Putting time to just, you know, make these small little details and patterns for potentially for some maybe small minority of people to notice and say, hey, you know, I figured that out or this or that. Like it's in it could be in architectural sketches. It could be in video game design. It could be in anything. It could be even sometimes in the middle of my podcast. And I say some stuff, you know, in the middle. Um Like the other time, I think in episode 83, like we talked about, what was it? Oh, yeah. A bee flew in to the guest's room and we were just talking about we na- we put a name for it and stuff like that and we and we <laughs> told everyone that if anyone does make a fan art we're going to give him a reward or something you know I, I don't think anyone did make a fan art for the bee but yeah you get the point <laughs> yeah it's basically fun little details that if you if you don't know you don't know it doesn't take anything off the experience but if you notice it it brings a little Ah, moments, basically. Yeah. Wait, we didn't say we would give anything, but... Oh, yeah, we said we would appreciate it if you guys drew anything for the fan art of George the Bee that died. Yeah, because George the Bee, the Bee that oh, tried to press... Yeah, I mean, he was trying to sting the guy. Like, you know, like a, <laughs> I mean, it was friend square. It wasn't like one of those buzzy cute bees that would just, you know, go around looking for flowers. It was a soldier bee. All right. No. Another thing that I actually wanted to take point at is that so aside from the environment stuff and the prop stuff, like there's some like really like really enough appetizing looking food like illustrations. And I'm I swear I'm not kidding. Like the cake with the lemons on them and the crab. I mean, just remove the crab, but I love a lemon cake, you know, just from seeing it. <laughs> Like, they actually look appetizing, and I'm not kidding. Well, 
that the the whole point with these little dishes is that I wanted something that kind of looks this that is on the paper is disgusting. Uh, I wanted it to look super appetizing. So you've got like the um, the crab cake. Honestly, I would eat it, but I'm French, so I would eat anything uh, as long as they're garlic butter. But um, I don't. I mean, all the the crab cake with the the lemon. The I think I've done a radish, a radish cheesecake, and the other one yeah. was. Um, I think it was octopus uh, a, tomato. A, yeah, an octopus uh, tart. <laughs> uh, even if it looks disgusting, I mean, it, it should be disgusting, but I wanted it to look super appetizing, and it all comes with the texture and the lighting, uh, like any kind of a food advertisement you know how they make everything very shiny very colorful very very juicy well i wanted yeah. to do the same thing here even if the ingredients are meant to be gross which they are not actually because octopus is delicious and so is everything that is presented there um but yeah basically that that all comes with the texture i, I put a lot of uh, detail in the texture to make it juicy to make it like slightly grilled and um that's that's what make it um appetizing i think here's the thing like you know in a on a really deep level there's something i noticed in your works that there was another guest who had like a same level of detail when it comes to like actually like it shows that when it comes to the fundamentals of drawing maybe it's just my personal opinion maybe i'm wrong your lighting and understanding of colors and lighting is way 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 above like most people that have seen their works and i actually had another guest and funny enough i think she also was french canadian not the french french roxanne barry manfet her colorings were are amazing i mean our colorings are amazing as well your lighting and coloring like it's you, you can feel the difference when you compare it to the other works of other people, you know, just by these metrics, because it, they make that, whether it's an object or food or environment, you can feel, I, I don't know how to, it's an untangible feeling, but you can feel the, you know, the environment well, or the object, you know what I mean? Um, that's uh, where 3D actually helps a lot, because... Um, Obviously, I've got, I know how to light things. I know how to associate colors with each other. But um, 3D helps me a lot to, um, I basically light my my 3D modeling, my 3D blockout, um, and I render it. So the light is kind of calculated for me. I'm going to add highlights and, and texture and all the colors I add it afterwards. But it helps me a lot with the lights, like how does the, the light reacts to this volume, all the bounce light also, um, the, um, I don't know, the ambient occlusion, all this is basically done by the 3D software. Um, so that's something I don't have to worry about and I can focus, because I don't have to worry about the te technical aspect of, uh, of the drawing, like how lights bounce and react to stuff, I can focus way more on the design, like making fun storytelling elements, um, nice shapes, nice colors, because I don't have to worry about the lighting. So yeah, 3D helps a lot in that way, that's for sure. All right, now let's jump into the, one of the subjects I've been waiting to talk to you about, with, which is video games. First, I mean, you already mentioned that you weren't that, you know, much of a like hardcore gamer or just, you know, as much as the other kids usually were. Like you got mm -hmm. into games like 
since like you kind of entered the whole space of like you know video game industry and all that stuff well here's what i'm gonna ask tell me this tell me this story of your gaming and also tell me some of your favorite games and why are they your favorite games um, so I started um, with the mo- most toxic games of all, uh, League of Legends, uh, <laughs> like a lot of people. Uh, so I started playing League of Legends, like, I think in season two or three. I played for probably three years, three seasons, and then I just got so so annoyed with it. It's just not fun. People are not fun in there. Uh, I wasn't having fun at all. So I just it's got gotten worse, like, by the way. Yeah, and I have no doubt about this. And now there's more and more characters, and they all look the same. And I'm, I'm just, I don't know. No, it's just too much. Uh, so no, thank you. I, I mean, there's enough toxic tr- toxicity everywhere. I don't need it to be in my video games either. So yeah, I stopped playing the um, League of Legend like literally from a day to another. I completely stopped because like, why am I doing this to myself? It's it's not it's not great um so after that i started playing guild wars 2 uh and i still play guild wars 2 up to this day um i played i don't know maybe thousands and thousands of hours uh with my friends it was way more i i, I loved the the mmo feeling of having your friends online i had my guild i i have my like the, the, the game is not necessarily super alive right now. It's just going to have a new expansion soon. But um, like I, I you meet up with your friends and you do tons of stuff, different content. The content in Guild Wars 2 is amazing. Uh, you've got so many things to do. It takes a lot of time because obviously it's an MMO. But it's just the, the universe is gorgeous. The, the maps are fantastic. It's it's a great game. Uh, the story is amazing too. So I I played a lot of Guild Wars too, and I also played uh, Breath of the Wild a lot several times. Maybe I think I completed it three times with the expansions. Um, it's my favorite game of all times in terms of. Um, well, it looks amazing, first off. The designs are really cool. I, I really like the characters and the environments in there. Um, the story is really cool, too, even if it's not a very story-driven game. There's still the, the little story there is. I love it. Um, but it's also mostly about the exploration that you have in this game. There's a feeling of um, you can go anywhere you want. Everywhere you want to climb, you can climb it. Even if there's nothing there, like you want to climb a mountain, there's nothing there. Well, that's fine. You, you just, that's the, the journey. You basically spend 15 minutes trying to climb because it's raining, but uh, it's just, you can do it. Anything you want to do, you can do it in this game. And the exploration is really rewarded. Like, for example, climbing that mountain. Mo- most of the time, you'll find um, a little surprise. I don't know if you're familiar with the game, but you'll find a cork seed. Um, it's basically a little puzzle you have to solve, and it gives you a little seed that you can use later to upgrade your weapons and things like that. And no matter where you go, you'll always find these little puzzles that you have to solve. And you see these little storytelling elements. You can, let's say, you want to climb a mountain. You've got like. 30 different ways of doing it. You can climb it just like this. You can basically build a raft and inflate some balloons and put it in the air. It's just so free, this game. And I just love the feeling. The music is really great too. So yeah, Breath of the Wild, 
I could, I could talk about it for hours. It's just an amazing yeah. game. Um, and most more recently, I played uh, Spirit Fire, which is a game by Thunder Lotus, and it's um, it's it's complicated to describe it, but it's a very narrative-driven game. Uh, you basically uh, you're the the new I don't know how to call that. You're basically the new person that drives souls to the other side. Uh, I don't know if there's a specific word for that, but you basically welcome spirits on your boat and you try to talk with them, uh, see what's their story, trying to solve their problems if they have any, and they do. Um, you also on the side have some crafting mechanics. Uh, you can grow your little botanical garden. You've got some little trees you can grow. Um, you basically go from island to island to pick up materials and to pick up different spirits. That's where you find them. Um, and yeah, they've got really, really great stories that are uh, trigger warning it can be a very very intense game because it's about death and all the the story you welcome on, on your boat they're all about death but in a different way um, you learn how those people lived before dying and how they took that death and um, yeah you basically have to take them to the other side and it's a very very emotional game it's written in a very clever way too. The stories are not stereotypical. They're just very interesting. And um, you can really feel the love of the developers in that game. And I, I absolutely adore this game. It's fantastic. So yeah, if, if, um, if you're looking for a beautiful game, it's also absolutely gorgeous. Um, so if you're looking for a beautiful narrative game, it's it's really a, an amazing game. All right. And before we move on to the next question, I just had one more question I'm curious about. In League of Legends, what were your main heroes? It was Cassiopeia. I was a mid laner. Uh, all right. I also did a lot of Zyra for a while uh, uh, as a support, but also mid laner. Uh, I... I played that in like season three, something like that. Um, so yeah, that's my two main. That yeah, actually, I think I saw some of your Zyra illustration. Zaya, no Zyra. Yeah, Zyra. I actually did one. I've completely forgot. No, did I? No, it wasn't Zyra. <laughs> Sorry. See, all the characters look the same. It's um, <laughs> it's another it's another character from um, from Guild Wars. It's a character called Faulane, and it's uh, also a plant lady. So that's where it's coming from. But yeah, it's it's not it's not Zyra, but it does look like it now that you I'm thinking about it. Yeah, and the thing is, like, here's the thing: like most online games are now not just League. I mean, of course, League and games like League, Dota Two, you know, all like MOBAs basically, they're all super toxic. Like, it's just insane. Like, you can't play them alone. On, like, you can't solo queue into a game. You have to have a full party of friends. Yeah, that's for, for sure. It to yeah. be bearable, not just fun. You know, be bearable. And yeah, yes. I basically stopped playing alone because I... And I didn't want to play it with any friends either because it's, it's just not fun. And it's, yeah. I think it's because it's very competitive, which I understand. But um, I played competitive games. Like, I've, I've played a, a huge lot of Destiny 2. And um, people are not that toxic. Even in PvP, they're not that toxic. It's just, uh, 
even when you're doing like high stake dungeons um, or very very complicated end end game content, people are not as toxic as as uh, League of Legend or I don't know. I, d- I didn't really play any other games like Dota or I don't know Apex or um, Tarkov, all that kind of stuff. I didn't play it, but I I see how how toxic it is and there are other games that are not that toxic but still competitive so i don't know what it is about it i think here's i actually have an idea like for example a game like you know destiny 2 that you mentioned that because it's it's a game that you need to grind and work hard for a lot of stuff for loot you know for rewards for you know progressing in the game basically um it requires a certain amount of like level of focus and patience which most usually younger people don't have <laughs> so usually most people are usually more must be like an average more grown up than like for example the average league player or I don't know, Dota 2 player or uh, Fortnite, Fortnite player yeah and it might be the target that is a bit different yeah, yeah. oh my god like, I don't know yeah, you might not believe it, but even in chess, you know, like in the past year, I, I've actually gotten into chess. I, I'm not kidding. There's a lot of toxicity in chess. It's oh, really? Insane. Is there a chess in actually a chat in chess.com? Yes, there's a chat. Oh, I didn't know that. People say racist stuff. People ask you Jeez. for re- rematch when you, when they lose for they want to win and you and they lose again. They say the most absurd stuff ever. Like some people, like you might not believe, like grown-ups, like 40, 50 year olds. So, see, that's what you were saying about about league. It's not it's not necessarily the fact that it's child playing it because I know a lot of grown-ups that are yeah, super toxic right. in playing league. And if if it's also toxic in chess.com, like it means that it's definitely not. I don't think twelve years old. A lot of them are playing chess, or maybe I'm wrong, but. Um, it doesn't seem like a, um, a very young audience either, so I don't know. I think people are a bit stressed out at the moment. No, no, it, no, no, it's not that. It's always been the case, like in everything. But now, like for example, with online games, there's a chance for people to some. Here's a here's the thing. At the end of the day, egotistical people want to feel big compared to someone else. They want to have feel that dynamic of being bigger than something else. And with online gaming, they have the chance. So if you put all the pieces of puzzle together, you get why there's so many, you know, toxic people in online games. Because it's I mean, I'm not even sure it's that because I've I know a lot of people that great people in real life and that are toxic on video games. And I just think it's um, because online you don't have that you've got the fact that you're anonymous and you can say whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, it's true. not gonna have any uh, most of the time you've got, you're gonna have no repercussion on your on your day-to-day life so that's that's probably why the fact that you have no consequences but um sometimes it does and mm. it doesn't necessarily if you're toxic and video games doesn't mean that you're a terrible person because <laughs> it goes to stick uh, ass but it it can it can turn really good people in, into other people uh, weirdly enough <laughs> i was also very toxic on league like uh, <laughs> i felt like i needed to fit the the whole uh, environment now, here's the thing. toxic, but yeah. I mean, here's the thing. There's a huge difference between being like talk playfully toxic, like, and there's a difference between ha- hateful asshole toxic. Oh, yeah, you know, that's for sure. there's a huge difference. Like as you said, like there's great people who are toxic in games, but their toxicness is not like trying to hurt someone or be hateful. You know what I mean? It's in the context of the game. 
Yeah, there's a difference between saying report at the end of a game and literally saying racist slurs and things like that. So obviously there are different levels. That's that's true. Yeah. And all right, let's move on from the whole subject of toxic <laughs> online toxicity and move on to the next question. The next question is, who are your favorite artists and designers that have inspired you the most? If I had to name one, I really couldn't name one. No, you um, can name many as you want. Yeah. Uh, so in traditional art, there are two artists. It's it's very, very different from my, my style, actually. But for some reason, I absolutely love their work and I find it fascinating. It's um, um, Barlow and also Zdilo Bekinski. Uh, they're basically two... It's a Wayne Barlow. Sorry, I didn't say his name. Wayne Barlow and Zdilo Bekinski, if I'm saying it correctly. It's basically two artists that are... Um, doing very, very dark fantasy um, paint of... It's it's basically... um, It shows how hell is represented in their head, I assume, because it's not very traditional representation of hell, but it's basically um, a representation of hell with different levels, uh, a very specific hierarchy. Uh, That's for Wenbalo. And... um, and Bikinski is just very, very dark, um, very dark uh, imageries, um, very surreal too. Uh, it doesn't necessarily make any sense, but it's just very, very strong in the way it composes his image, uh, that the, the subject it decides, it decides to treat. So it's very much related to war, to um, uh, cheery stuff. But I don't know why I'm so fascinated by these two artists, but they're absolutely amazing. And it's mind-blowing what can come out of their brain. Um, but, I, yeah, it's not, it's definitely not the style I make because I tend to make colorful, cute stuff. But I don't know. I, I've, I'm really fascinated by the way they're, they build their universe. So I guess it's, it's related to my work in the way that they build a universe and they've got proper rules in that universe and they have a very strong storytelling for each of their image. So that's why I love their work so much, the storytelling that it's in there. And in terms of digital artists, um, I absolutely love the work of Andrew Poulter, is a senior concept artist at Blizzard at the moment. Um, I also love Alexandre Dibouane. Um, It's doing really, really cute characters with a lot of personality and very bouncy shape, very dynamic Um so Alexandre Dibouane, I've got Andrew Porter, um, uh, Danny Diaz too. Is I absolutely love his work. Uh, very dynamic once again. Um, they're a bit closer to the work I do in a way that it's stylized and uh, it's a bit more cheery and cute. Um, but there are so many others um, that I, I couldn't really... Uh, a lot of them, I actually have their name in my head, but I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it the right way. Um, there's also Anya Joe Delvish, I think it's her name. I, I'm not sure about the name. I'm very, very sorry if it if it's the wrong pronunciation, but she's doing amazing, colorful environments too. Uh, she's got a very strong sense of lighting and composition. I, I just love her work. 
So yeah, lot of artists, really. I I've, I could I could think of really really many more, but I don't have all the names in my. I've got the the work they work in my in my head, but I don't have their names. But uh, these are my main uh, my favorite artists, I'd say. All right, and. Well, actually, that's one of the questions that everyone kind of has problems with, you know. And the most common thing is that people remember the artists by their works, not their names, you know. So mm-hmm. it's also hard for them to, you know, remember the name. Um, all right. So the next question is, what technologies and softwares do you mostly use for your works? Um, so in terms of setup, I've got a very bad setup at the moment. Um, I've got a laptop. I think it's an Asus. No, it's an MS, MSI, I think. MSI something. I've got a good uh, graphic card in there, enough to support my, my software and my, my Cintiq. So I've got a Cintiq on the side. It's a 27, 27HD. Um, I used to work with... Um, Intuos Pro for years. I just got that Cintiq from a from a colleague for half price. Uh, it's a used one and it still works, so I'm really happy about it. But I could definitely work with the Intuos Pro. Um, so that's basically for the for the setup and for the softwares. I work mainly with Photoshop uh, for everything, illustration, uh, painting over, and when I'm doing my 3D bases, I work with Maya. Uh, and when I render it, it's usually the renderer inside Maya that is called Arnold. Um, it is definitely not the best software for that. I'd say if I had to recommend any software, it would be Blender anytime because it's free and because it's doing absolutely great renders and you can do so many amazing stuff with it. I, the reason why I'm using Maya is because um, I learned everything on Maya and now I'm very very fast on Maya I've, I've been working on Maya for like six years now if it's not more so I I am comfortable on Maya and the reason why I use 3D is to go faster to not being worried about the technical side so if I was using Blender it would take me more time to do stuff than it, it does in Maya um, because I'm so used to the software but I'm slowly transitioning I, I am learning Blender but it takes a lot of time to get out of the comfort zone to learn something new. And I've got this automatism that I've got on Maya that are not necessarily the same on Blender. But what is absolutely great about Blender is that when you follow a tutorial and you do it on your machine, it does the same thing. Well, on Maya, for some reason, you always find a reason why it doesn't work. It's because you didn't take the right thing or because on this the tutorial is slightly different so it doesn't work and sometimes you just don't know why and you'll never know why so yeah I would recommend Blender for anyone that is starting um, but I am using Maya for now alright and any advice and tips for a good portfolio and resume for artists um, for resume I don't really have any tips because um, to me, it's very secondary. If the portfolio is good, the resume is less important to me, at least. Um, so for portfolio, I would say um, it depends on who you target. You don't have one res- one portfolio for every company you're going to apply to. Um, if you want to apply to, um, let's say, Riot Games, you will have to have stylized work on your portfolio. That seems like 
obvious, but it's not necessarily. I, I've seen portfolios applying in different companies I've worked on, and they don't have the portfolio at all. That it really doesn't fit the game they want to work on. So it's much harder for us to. Um, project that person working with us if the portfolio really doesn't fit. So basically, um, even if you target different companies, you can do different style, it's possible, but you have to target your portfolio to this company. So Riot Games, you want to do some stylized. Ubisoft, uh, most of their game, not all of their game, but if you want to work on Assassin's Creed, you will have to show a bit more realistic uh, portfolio. So really adapt your portfolio to the the places you're applying to and to the games you're applying to. Um, In terms of level, um, when you look for a company, try and check the artists they have there, their portfolio, and try to match that. Um, If you're a junior artist, we're not going to ask you to replicate the same quality as someone that is a principal or an art director, obviously, but try and have a level that could be shown next to that level. it's 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 base. It gives you a good idea of the level you're supposed to have to work on that company, um, and also there's always a debate between should you be very versatile or should you be more specific in one style and that's it. Um, it really depends where you're applying. I'd say if you want um, if you want to apply in a very small indie studio, I would say being versatile is a bit better because you're gonna be able to help in way more um aspects of the development um and and i've already worked in smaller studios and one person was doing the job of five people like you you had the person doing the concept that was the same as doing the modeling then you had an animator that was also doing vfx so for smaller indie studio the more you know how to do stuff the better it is but For very big studios, usually um, they will recruit people that are a bit more specific in their their skills. Um, Like, um, I don't know. um, Well, I'm going to talk about what I know. But for example, if you were applying for, uh, let's say, working on Elite Dangerous, you would have to showcase a very good understanding of shape language for sci-fi, for example. So, and and they are going to recruit you if you have good sci-fi in your portfolio, not necessarily if you're doing, um, I don't know, stylized stylized stuff. Like I was an exception because I I got recruited at Frontier Development to work on Planet Zoo. That's why they wanted something stylized. And then I worked on Elite Dangerous. But if uh, nowadays they were recruiting for Elite Dangerous, let's say, I I don't want to talk for them, obviously, but that's usually how it goes. If you want to work on a sci-fi game, it's better to have sci-fi in your portfolio. So yeah, that's what I would say if you want to work a bit more um, in a very big studio, be a bit more specific in your skills. And if you want to work on an indie studio, um, the more versatile you are, the best. All right. And uh, what are you working on right now that you can tell us about? What kind of project is it? I mean, of, of course, I mean, if there's an NDA involved, we can skip right past this question. Um, um, but if that's not the case, uh, could you tell us what you're doing right now? So at the moment, I'm working on a game called Party Animal. Uh, animals. It's um, it's a little party game uh, that you play with friends. Basically, uh, you just fight with very cute animals. Um, 
there was a beta like a few a few months ago. I think it was a year ago, and uh, I'm working on the art direction of that with uh, with Jacob Irish, which is also a very very great talented um, concept artist. is helping me with the art direction too. We're both working in collaboration on that. So basically, we're working on the environment for that game. I can't say much more about it, but um, it's very exciting. Very amazing to work in in on that project it's really fun it's great great designs and things like that so yeah that's all i can say at the moment um and i'm not working on any other um i've worked a little bit on some stuff but for now i can't talk about it so yeah mostly that mostly the the art direction of party animal all right and well the next question is a bit less technical um what area beside the area you're working on right now would you be interested to explore and learn in the future like what i mean by that imagine if you had like you know it's a hypothetical question you know for example if you had like a huge amount of free time like extra time and you could do anything like even let's say there was no limitation on resources or money or anything like that. If you could learn anything or do anything, it could be even not related. What would you do in that situation? Ah, oh. um, even if it's not art related, hey, it could be both art related or non art okay. related. It's up to you. Uh, so art related, I would like to work a bit more on character design because that's something I don't really do. Um, at the moment, I'm focusing on environments because I'm absolutely in love with architecture and environments. But I would love to be able to actually put a little character that is well designed in my environment. Like, let's say if I do a little market barrow, as I said earlier, I would like to be able to design the merchant. At the moment, I am able to do this, but I'm never really happy about it. So I'd like to work a little bit more on that. And um, if it was not art related, I would actually love to learn like a new sport or something I would be I would love to be super good at snowboarding or things like that I'm I'm, I'm I really love skiing uh, also but like snowboarding I, for some reason I always loved uh, how I cool it looked so I would say snowboarding all right awesome well with everything that's been said and done to conclude all the discuss please give us a roadmap for someone who is zero in visual arts and wants to get to the place you are in terms of skills of like for someone who is here like at zero and you're here to your level what steps from here to here should they take to get there and go to that direction in your opinion um i wouldn't necessarily recommend um going to a video game school and all that because a lot of them are private school and it can get expensive um but if you're serious about it and you can basically be self-taught so i'd say the first thing you need to do is try and look for some good references um good material like learning education um on the internet you can find that uh, for quite cheap actually you've got great website like schoolism art station learning uh, basically try and find tons of resources like this to learn more about art uh, in general and then once you know a bit more about the basics of art like uh, perspective composition light theory color theory once you have a strong basis you can start digging a bit more into specific areas like are you more in- interested in um, 3d are you more interested in 2d um, environment or character and um, see, basically experiment see what you like the most 
And then it's a lot of personal work. You're going to have to do tons of different projects, turn, try and learn as much as possible, be very curious, um, try and learn. It's not necessarily something as video game related. Like if you want to be very good, a very good concept artist, it's not to play a lot of games that is going to help you do that. It's mostly uh, learn a lot about um very very different stuff go to museums um go see exhibits of different artists go to look a lot of look at a lot of documentaries like something really dumb but for example um the way i choose my colors is mostly based um of frogs and um and um and birds they have when they have very very strong color um uh, coordination patterns and things like that. I usually take it from there. So basically, look at tons of different different documentaries, movies. Um, it can be yeah, museums, everything. Basically, ve- be very very curious. Not only um, stay in your room and play video games, um, and um, and then yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work. Like you have to to do tons of different projects, build your portfolio, and then apply everywhere. Um, and apply to the, the the game company you like, even if they don't have uh, an opening for your job, they often have like free openings. And if you feel really, really strongly about a company, don't hesitate to apply anyway. And uh, don't harass them because it's always annoying, but at least try once. And uh, you, you never you never know if you don't try. So yeah, just um, try, try and find what you like in games too. Um, do you like... Um, um, something that is a bit more story driven. Do you like a very uh, brutal, cool stuff like Doom? It's going to help you also orientate your portfolio to something that you like and that you feel good about. Um, so yeah, it's mostly about um, learning a lot and uh, and uh, working to to get what you want. But don't overwork yourself either. Uh, be careful about mental health. That's yeah, that's something that is very important actually. Mental health in video game, it's not easy. So take care of yourself. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I would say. All right, sounds pretty good to me. And well, thank you so much for that answer. But there's one last thing. Actually, it's a bonus thing that I recently added to the pod to the format of the podcast, which I think is it's a pity that I, I should have done it way way sooner. Uh, because it's been like I think, if I'm not mistaken, like eight, nine episodes I added this, which is the final words section, which I'm gonna explain to you what I mean by that. To anyone who is listening right now, or who might be listening at any point of time in the future, maybe ten years, twenty years, two weeks, two days, you know, whenever the video is uploaded, and they've reached this point at this point of the episode, you know, and you have a chance and opportunity to leave a message to them. It could be about anything. If you could leave a message to people that might listen to this episode podcast at this point of time, what would that be? Oh, wow. That is a very broad question. Um, I don't want to go too cheesy, like follow your dreams and all that, but um yeah, if you're interested in a career in video game, um, please uh, don't get discouraged by the fact that you think it's not for you. You'll never do it. It's not a real job. It is a real job. We have tons of 
openings and it's an amazing industry to work on um so yeah just uh if if you really want to work in video games try and find specifically where you want and what what sector you want to work on is it more game design or game art and um yeah try and find resources for it and go for it because uh, you never know until you try really so i would i would say yeah go for it all right awesome and well thanks so much for coming by where can people contact you if they had any questions is our instagram okay uh yeah instagram or even twitter i'm more active on twitter uh so and even our station actually you've got a chat in our station awesome and well thank you so much for coming by and thank you to anyone who's tuned in and listened to this episode whether on spotify or on youtube um thank you so Thank you, all of you. I appreciate all the support. And if there's any suggestions or critique or, you know, for future episodes, maybe you guys have any ideas or questions in general, leave them down in the comments and I'll respond to each and every one of them. And that's about it. Take care, everyone. Have a good day. See you in the next episode. Bye.